0: Tonight's scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening. It's great to worship with you tonight. Uh, Hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving uh, holiday and week. Um, Just wanted to take a moment to say that um, you all are one of the things that I am thankful for. Um, during this season of Thanksgiving. I am so thankful for each of you, so thankful. Uh, It was wonderful to serve with you last week. Um, After the service, it's great to worship with you each week. Um, And just me and my family are very grateful for each one of you and what you mean to our family, and we just love to worship with you as a part of this church. So thank you for being a part of things here at Grace and a part of our lives. Tonight, as you... Heard as I just read, we're continuing in First Peter. Uh, we're going to wrap up First Peter um, in the next two or three weeks. Uh, we have three sermons left in this series, and then we'll have a special Christmas message on December eighteenth, and then we'll be doing a survey of the first three books of the Old Testament as we go into the new year. Uh, so, as we're finishing up in First Peter four, Peter has some more things to say, and, and tonight in this scripture, he wraps up a section that he's really been hitting on for about a chapter and a half about suffering. So this is the third sermon in a row where he refers to suffering. As he refers to suffering, he is going to answer for us the question of how do we suffer with a living hope? How do you suffer with a living hope? That's been our theme because it's Peter's theme throughout the book of 1 Peter. How do we have a living hope? Meaning a hope that isn't just for the future in glory someday, in eternity someday, but how do we have a living hope right here and right now? It can be very hard to have a living hope right here, right now, when we are suffering. But he has some words, some instructions for us to experience a living hope even while we suffer. In fact, tonight he starts out by saying, don't be surprised, but instead rejoice. Don't be surprised, but instead rejoice. How can we rejoice as we go through suffering? Tonight, Peter is going to share with us that we, in order to rejoice and have a living hope in suffering, we need to share in something, we need to rest in something, and we need to do something. Would you pray with me and for me as we open up God's word? Father, thank you for this chance to hear from you tonight. Thank you, God, that you've spoken through your word. Thank you that your spirit rests upon those who are in you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you will judge the living and the dead. Thank you that you will bring justice. Thank you that there is grace and mercy for us through the blood of Jesus. God, I pray for those who have suffered here tonight, that they would have a perspective on that suffering that is new tonight through your word and your spirit. God, I pray for those that will suffer in the future. Uh, God, I pray that you would prepare us, that we would not be surprised at the fiery trial we face. And God, specifically, I want to pray for those that are suffering right here, right now. God, I pray that your spirit would rest upon us. God, I pray that your word would speak the truth to us tonight and that we would uh, be encouraged. We would be uh, moved by what we see as we uh, are assured that you're with us. We're assured of your plan. And God, we pray that you would speak in that way. God, take my little words here tonight and use them for something big, bigger than me, bigger than us. God, thank you that you're with us in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you have your sermon outlined in front of you, I printed off the whole scripture so you can mark that up, highlight it, color on it, whatever you'd like as we talk here, and then a few of the main points and some cross-references as well. You can grab that on the back table if you've not grabbed that already. That is in lieu of a PowerPoint tonight. So 1 Peter 4, verse 12, in the beginning of verse 13. Beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice so a uh, couple things of note as we get into what Peter has to say here is he concludes this section And suffering. The first one is he calls the church, the people that he is writing to, the elect exiles that are receiving this letter all over kind of the known world, these elect exiles that are in Christ. He calls them something. It says here, beloved. That's a good translation. Another translation would be dear friends. He is meaning people that are dear to them. He also calls them brothers and sisters in this letter. He is reminding them that there is something about them that is closer than blood they are elect exiles they may be away from their homeland they may be away from their kin but they are united and he calls them dear and beloved because he sees them as spiritual family so that's how he starts dear friends and then he says don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you he says this because they need to hear it and so do we we are surprised when we go through trials We're surprised when we go through suffering. Even if you are a person that prepares for the future by preparing for the worst, or you consider the worst case scenario, or even if you're a cynic and know that bad things are coming your way, if you're that person, then you're surprised at the exact nature of the trial that comes your way. Because maybe you dreamed up another flavor of suffering or trial, and then life brings you a different suffering or trial. So just like we, they were surprised by their suffering and we're surprised. We're surprised by little suffering. We're surprised by little inconveniences and trials and we're surprised by big trials. We think, I didn't see this coming. And it's a big part of our suffering and our grief and our sorrow. Is just wrestling with the fact that it happened, that it didn't go according to plan. This is not the way we planned out our day. This is not the way we planned out our life. And he says, do not be surprised. And in fact, he says, don't be surprised and instead rejoice, rejoice, have a posture of joy. That's what that means. Rejoice, have a posture of joy. How can we have a posture of joy when we're going through trials? He's going to lay it out for us in the rest of the chapter or in the rest of this section. Let's continue on in verse 13. Insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Here's really the meat of what he is saying to us. So let's pick it apart and make sure we understand what he's saying. First, he says, Insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. He's telling us we share in the suffering of Christ. He means two things by this, and they're both very weighty and very important for our understanding of our own suffering. When he says we share in Christ's suffering, there are two things that he means. First is we will suffer like him. We share in his sufferings, meaning he suffered, we will suffer Jesus said, don't be surprised, he said to his disciples, his followers, don't be surprised when people insult you, they insulted me first. And we learned a couple weeks ago, and we see right here in this passage, that insults, slander, marginalization by the society around them was one of the main things that they are suffering at this point. So Peter is hearkening back to the very words of Jesus and saying, you share in Christ's suffering because he suffered first. And if you follow Christ, you will also suffer. The world hated him. The world may hate you as well. Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. Peter says, this is what's happening. You're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Your leader suffered, you suffer. You are in Christ, so he suffered. Now you also suffer as well. That's the first thing that he means by you share in Christ's suffering. The second thing he means is that you share in Christ's suffering, meaning that his suffering accomplished something that helps your suffering. We share in his suffering in another way. There is the downside of that. Obviously, we suffer because he suffered. But then there's a positive of that too. There's something that we share in That is to our benefit and in fact Peter is saying it causes us to rejoice even as we suffer. And that thing that we share in is our union with Christ. His suffering accomplishes us being able to be in Christ the fact that we can have a relationship with God, the fact that we can stand before a holy God and be judged and not be afraid of that judgment is because we share in the sufferings of Christ. His suffering, his death, accomplishes something for us that helps us rejoice today. It says, So that you may rejoice when he comes. You share in his suffering so when he returns, you can rejoice instead of being afraid that you'll be judged by a holy God. We'll get more into that in just a moment. There is also an implication here that suffering is doing a good in you. You're sharing in suffering and it's purifying you, it's doing something for you. Suffering has a purifying effect. It helps sanctify us. We talked about this last week. It has a sanctifying effect. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he is laid out for us. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That suffering, those fiery trials are doing something. It's sanctifying us. It's making us more like Jesus. That's an implication of what Peter is saying here. And then it says, if you are insulted by the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Peter is making an incredible claim here. The verbiage that he uses here he is saying the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you he's not saying it visits you or it comes once in a while it's saying that the spirit of God rests on you and he is using the exact language that Isaiah used in Isaiah chapter 11 when predicting that the spirit of God would rest on the coming messiah. Turn with me to Isaiah 11. It's a great Christmas passage. And this is what Peter is talking about. He is using some of this same language in the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to read a a good chunk of Isaiah chapter 11 here. Isaiah 11 verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. We read this passage at Christmas time. I was just looking over our family Advent uh, material that we go through this uh, month And this is one of the nightly readings that we do from Isaiah 11. And we read this passage at Christmas time to rejoice in this prophecy coming true in the Messiah, in Jesus. The one who Bo just described came in the flesh. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. But he is also coming again. Isaiah is saying the spirit of God will rest on Jesus and stay with Jesus wherever he goes. This was a radical thought for God's people at the time of Isaiah. Because to this point, the spirit of God came and went. It filled people and then it left. It filled the temple. It filled the tent of meeting. It filled the tabernacle. It filled God's people and it came and went. And he's saying here that someday the Messiah will come and the spirit of God will rest upon him. Then Peter says that that spirit That spirit of glory now rests on you. The church, the spirit of glory now rests on you. Peter here is making the claim that because of what Christ did, because we share in his suffering, the spirit of glory and of grace rests on you right here, right now, if you are in Christ. As you go through the fiery trial, this is such an important encouragement and word and truth for us, especially as we suffer. Because along with that surprise that we are suffering, we're surprised by the fiery trial, we also don't intuitively think, I'm sure thankful that the Spirit of God is resting on me. It's not our first thought. In fact, we can be led to believe in our emotions and in our thoughts. Where is God in all of this? All I see is the fiery trial. All I feel is the heat. And I don't feel the peace. Peter is making an amazing claim about the spirit of God and our ability to rest in the spirit of God, even as we suffer. Look with me at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Peter here is laying out for us that there are reasons, there are different reasons that we suffer. And he's telling us, don't. Cause suffering for yourself. See, there's three kinds of, re- of suffering. We looked at this a little bit last week. The three reasons that we suffer or the three kinds of suffering. One is we live in a fallen world. So we suffer because of the fall. Because we live in a world that is fallen, in bodies that are fallen. We live amongst people that are fallen people. And so we just live in a broken system. We live in a broken body. We have broken minds. So we suffer because we live in a fallen world. Then we also can sin and then suffer consequences from that sin. And then a third kind of suffering is we suffer because of injustice, because someone else sins against us. So fallen world, our own sin or sin against us. Three reasons that we suffer. Here, Peter is saying you cannot avoid suffering altogether So don't be surprised at the fiery trial, but there are certain kinds of suffering that you can avoid by avoiding, for lack of a better term, the stupid tax. Don't suffer because of your own wrong choices. And he lays out for us four categories of sin. He's not giving us an exhaustive list, but he goes in order from greatest to least into four categories of sin. Look how he starts with a murderer, and then we kind of go down from there to thief, and then a general evildoer, and then a meddler. The term meddler is a really interesting word when you study the original Greek. It has connotations of taking what isn't yours. We use modern-day words for this in a few different areas. It's very similar to gossip, but also kleptomania as well. It's someone that takes information or stuff that isn't theirs, and it takes it for their own. That's what the word meddler means. What he's saying here is don't suffer because of your own sin. Avoid evil, avoid sin, avoid these different categories of evil so you don't bring suffering upon yourself. Verse 17, for it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We read in our Advent reading, um, in our corporate reading time that Tabitha led us through, we read that we will stand before a judge and he will judge the living and the dead. First Peter here is reminding us we'll stand before a judge and we will give an account for our sin, for our wrongdoing, for the suffering that we have uh, caused other people with our own sin and unjust actions. And we will give an account for our own sin that affects our own life, the suffering we bring upon ourselves by our sin. We'll stand before a judge and give an account for that sin. Peter wants us to be reminded of that, and he quotes here Proverbs eleven thirty one, 31, when he says, if the righteous is scarcely saved, if the righteous is scarcely saved, in the original Hebrew in the book of Proverbs that he is quoting here, um, it can be translated, the righteous is saved with difficulty. With difficulty. And ultimately, what he's referring to is the difficulties that we go through, even if we are saved. Going back to this theme of not being surprised when we suffer, it doesn't mean that we're not in Christ, it doesn't mean that the Spirit is not with us, it doesn't mean that God has forsaken us. But even in our salvation, we find difficulty. He wants to remind us that our salvation is even during suffering or even via that suffering that God uses that suffering in our lives sometimes we look at the promises of God we look at the kind of life that God says we will have and we look at the fiery trial around us and it doesn't seem like God's promises and his actions are lining up there's difficulty even in our salvation so what do we do We go back to verse 13 and we remember that we share in the sufferings of Christ. Yes, our suffering is difficulty and yes, our salvation includes difficulty. But we need to remember that Christ suffered first. Christ suffered on our behalf. He suffered the ultimate difficulty on our behalf. It's not fair that he should suffer the way that he did. We're evildoers. We go our own way. We do our own thing. We live unjust lives. We live in an unjust world. It was not fair that Jesus should have to suffer, but through it, he was accomplishing for us the will of God and our salvation. author and professor Steve Lawson said that at Jesus' first coming, his first advent, he stood trial before the world. But at his second coming, the world will stand trial before him. And they'll give an account for their sin, and either they will just have a list of their own sin and unjust living like all of us have, or they will be able to point to Christ and his suffering and his death on their behalf. If we are suffering and it's God's will, we can entrust ourselves to our faithful Creator. That's what we end with here in verse 19. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Don't be surprised when you suffer, entrust yourself to our faithful Creator creator the one who has made us while continuing to do good and live righteous lives peter has already spoke of this in chapter 2 where you can really lay 1st peter chapter 2 verses 21 through 25 on top of what we're talking about here tonight 1st peter 2:21 for to this you have been called He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus went first. Jesus entrusted himself to the heavenly father while doing good. And ultimately he accomplished the good that we fail to do. This term entrusting himself and Peter's instruction to us to entrust ourselves, it's the same word that Luke uses in Luke 23 46 when it says Jesus gave up his spirit and died. He entrusted his spirit to the Father to the ultimate conclusion and gave up his life on the cross. That's what faithful suffering looks like, and that's what was accomplished for us. The Heavenly Father looked at Jesus and what he had done and the life that he lived and the sacrifice that he made, and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. And because we share in his suffering, because of what Christ accomplished for us, when we stand before the one that judges the living and the dead, we too can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because of what Christ accomplished for us. So, how do we suffer with a living hope? I said in the beginning that we need to share in something, rest in something, and do something. So these will be our application points, and they're right here, in the text. So, first, we need to share in something in order to suf- suffer well with a living hope. Verse 13 But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's suffering. We share in his suffering. We should not be surprised at the fiery trial because our leader, the one we are following, we're a disciple of him and he suffered first. We share in his suffering so we should not be surprised and we should remember that our righteousness has already been accomplished in his suffering. We can entrust ourselves to a faithful creator and we can know that he's a faithful creator because of what Christ has done for us. So we share in his suffering. We don't suffer alone. We don't suffer alone. We share in his suffering. We share in what Christ accomplished. We share in his righteousness. We share in that word from the heavenly father, well done, good and faithful servant. So that's what we need to share in. Share in Christ's suffering. Second, I said we need to rest in something. This comes from Verse 14, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is a promise that we can rest while we suffer. While we suffer. We are so conditioned to think that peace and rest comes after the suffering. When we can set aside the suffering, when we can explain the suffering, when we feel better about the suffering, when we have perspective or insight or wisdom or we can explain it or we can see God's will in it, then we can rest. That's not what Peter is telling us. He's saying during the fiery trial, right here, right now, we can rejoice. We can rejoice, remember, all the way back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says that we have been born again to a living hope, so we can rejoice right here, right now. We can experience peace and rest as we suffer. Friends, there is suffering that just makes no sense. And over time, maybe by the grace of God, maybe going to counseling, maybe time, maybe wisdom, maybe mentors and disciples can help you have more perspective on that suffering. But there are certain kinds of suffering that we're never going to understand. That we're never going to be able to fully explain. That we're never going to be able to just forget about that we're never going to be able to look and say, oh, two plus two equals four with this suffering. This is what God was doing in that suffering. There's some suffering that we can understand. Even while we're going through it, there is some suffering that decades later, you still don't understand why you went through it. You still don't know what God's plan or what he was trying to accomplish. But the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You can rest right now as you go through the fiery trial. At Christ's worst moment of suffering, he entrusted himself to the faithful creator while doing good. We can rest because of what Christ did. We can rest because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. We can rest because... He is with us. He's with us. Sometimes you're suffering so much and you've prayed about it so many times you don't even have the words to say. And in those moments, we can just say, God, thank you that you're with me. Thank you that you're here, right here, right now. Just like the Heavenly Father and the Spirit of God rest on Jesus even as he felt forsaken on the cross. We can rest. Lastly, I said there's something that we need to do. And that is in trust. Verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We're not gonna look this up right now, but in Malachi chapter three, verses one through five, you can lay this passage tonight, First Peter chapter four, verses 12 through nine, you can lay it on top of Malachi chapter three, verses one through five, and it is like almost word for word. Some commentators have even said that Peter is directly commenting on and writing a commentary for Malachi chapter three, verses one through five. It says exactly the same things. In Malachi chapter 3, it doesn't explain it as a fiery trial. But what it says is that God's people will be put through the fire like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. That there is a, a plan, that there is a purpose, and he uses a refining fire and a fuller's soap. If you're like me, you may have a vague notion of what a refiner's fire is, but you have no idea what a fuller does or what soap is involved. So I used the google.com, which I highly recommend, Uh, did some deep study on google.com, and here is what I learned about a silversmith and a fuller. A silversmith places silver in a furnace and it is heated up to 16 to 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 900 to 1,000 Celsius. When the metal reaches the right temperature, the refiner introduces oxygen by blowing air over and through the bellows, and so it goes over the silver. A silver dross forms on the surface of the molten metal, and the refiner can just blow it off with air. This brings all the impurities out of the silver and makes the refiner easily able to blow away those impurities that were embedded in the silver. A fuller is from the time of the first century when Jesus was born. Fullers in particular lived right outside of Jerusalem. Fullers had a job of cleansing and whitening and bleaching cloth. They would take cloth, they would take skin of animals, and they would refine it. In Jerusalem, the cleansing process took place in a fuller's field just outside the city, and they did it outside of the city because it stunk, and they didn't want it in the city. Dirt and oils were removed from the wool so that it would be made pure and white and ready to be dyed and sold in town. We see in these two pictures intention, process, care, purification, junk being brought out and swept away. Here we see the intention of our good God of our faithful creator, as he sends us through the fiery trial. The hard thing is, when you're the silver in the fire, you just feel like you're being burnt. But our good heavenly father has a purpose for it all. And we can entrust ourselves to this faithful creator while continuing to do, Good in the face of any suffering. Our trials and suffering are fiery because they are difficult. This does not make them any less difficult, but we have a promise as we go through them. We can entrust ourselves to God in moments big and small. If you're like me, It's just as hard to entrust yourself to a faithful creator while doing good when you face minor inconveniences and minor suffering. But through it all, we can remember that the Spirit of God rests on us. Romans 8 tells us that he is working all things together. All things, everything. We can trust him with our past. We can trust him with our day-to-day. We can trust him with our future because he is doing good in us and through us even as we suffer. We're the church of Christ because we share in his sufferings. We're the church of Christ because of his blood spilled for us. Jesus, we remember what you have done. Thank you that we can share in your sufferings, and Jesus, we look forward to the day where we will share in your glory. God, as we go through the fiery trial, we pray that we would entrust ourselves to our faithful creator. Jesus, we proclaim tonight that you are faithful, and you are good, and you have a plan, and you care for us, and you're with us. And God, we pray that we would rest in you because your spirit rests on us. Thank you that we can be the church of Christ and we can share in his sufferings. We can share in his glory, Jesus, because of what you have done for us. Thank you for this time and thank you for what we have heard and experienced here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.